So AJ, my dude, I want to hop right and just jump right into it because your story is, it's electric. That night, I was like, something is just weird. And I'm like, I don't even know what's wrong, but it's not normal. And my wife, you know, she takes me home, like, go put the kids to bed. I get in the tub because I'm just in pain. I went to get out and my legs didn't work. So I called my wife and she comes, grabs me, takes me to the car, puts me in the car, uh, grabs our, our infant. And we sat in the ER for what seemed like ever. And I was getting paralyzed more and more and more by the hour. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hey guys, Maestro here and welcome back to another episode of Maestro on the Mic. Today I have with me a guest that's a bit outside of our norm, although I guess with, with Beth we had a little bit of this, this going on, but I met AJ maybe, I guess it was two years ago, oh my gosh, um, at, a, at podcast, excuse me, at the ConvertKit Craft and Commerce Convention and I was fortunate enough to just sit next to him and his story is absolutely remarkable. He had a cane at the time, he had on leg braces and I was just blown away by everything he had to say. So I'm going to let him share his story with you. Without further ado, welcome to the show, my friend AJ Osborne. Thank you for coming on, my dude. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Was it two years ago? Was it? Th- I, I, oh, I man, it was. It was just. Oh, it was a year. I think and a half ago. Oh my gosh! Wow. So yeah, you came out to Boise. Wow. Yeah, and I'll be back there again this year or next year. I guess I I had a big, a great time. So yeah. AJ, my dude, I want to hop right and just jump right into it because your story is it's electric. So can you tell the people this? Dive on in, whatever you want to start sharing. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you know, it's, it, I think, give you a little backstory. So I have a family with, uh, I had uh, four children. We just had our fourth child. This was, oh, just over two and a half years ago. And it, we just had our fourth child and I was running um, our company, uh, uh, the largest health benefits brokerage firm in our state at the time. And we had to do, we had to go on trips with clients that down in, Napa Valley and we were at a PGA tour. And I think that's, that's really where this kind of this event, this, oh, this all starts for me. We have our baby and me and my wife were there and my parents were there. We were with clients and we were having a good time. We we're at a concert and everything. And, um, I, I felt a little under the weather. Um, I didn't think very much of it. We have Teladoc. I called Teladoc and I was like, Hey, you know, something's not right. I have a lot of pain and they prescribed some stuff and, didn't think twice. And, um, that night we were, we were headed to go to bed and I told my wife, I'm like, you know, before, before we crash here and go to sleep, I'm going to go out on the golf course. It was late. Nobody was out there. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go for a run. 
And I'm like, I think that'll maybe help me feel a little better or I don't know. I just, I wanted to go for a run. So I got my stuff on, went out, I went for a run. Um, and it was hard. I was like, man, I am out of shape. I'm like, I got to turn my life around. There are problems here. And uh, um, so I actually walked back, but I did get, get uh, most of my run in. And uh, the next day we uh, went home and my, I was still in pain. My legs were hurting. I was out planting trees. And that night I was like, something is just weird. And I'm like, I don't even know what's wrong but it's not normal. And I'm like, we got to go to the ER. And so we went to the ER and they sat me in a room for an hour and they did all this stuff. And they came in, they're like, dude, there's nothing wrong with you. You were a hundred percent. You're healthy, you're fit. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, okay. So I walk out, I'm puking everywhere in the parking lot. And my wife, you know, she takes me home. like, go put the kids to bed. I get in the tub because I'm just in pain. I think I fell asleep at the tub or something. I can't remember. But I went to get out and my legs didn't work. And so I called my wife and she comes, grabs me, takes me into the car, puts me in the car, uh, grabs our, our infant, just leaves. We call a neighbor. It's like one o'clock in the morning where I just go over and sit in our living room. Our kids are asleep. We just need you to watch them. And we sat in the ER for what seemed like ever. And I was getting paralyzed more and more and more by the hour. And it was going fast and the doctors were running around, they're arguing. Nobody can seem to figure out what the heck is wrong with me. And all of a sudden I'm to a point where, you know, I'm, I, they put me in a bed and I, I can't really do anything. Apparently two of the ER doctors were in the cafeteria and they're going over. So they're sitting there talking, they're like, there's this, there's this guy we got here. He's paralyzed. Nobody can figure out why. We think it's dengue fever, and they were arguing over all the stuff. The head neurologist of the hospital turns around and says, wait, tell me this again. And he said, can I go see him? And they're like, it's not neurological. So you don't need, you don't need to come because it's not neurological. And he's like, Just let me come see him. It's the first time the neurologist had ever been to the ER in his career. He walks down, looks at me, asks me a bunch of questions, and he, goes, he looks at me and he's like, AJ... I think I know what this is. And I was like, okay, you know, great. Well, let's get some medicine and I'll exactly. go home, right? Like we're done. <laughs> and uh, um, he's like, I'll be right back with you. So we're sitting there. My wife went home to take care of the kids the second night. And uh, me and my parents are sitting there and he comes back in and he goes, okay, we're, we, we think we know what it is. We're going to rush you down to a bigger hospital, the hospital downtown and uh, um, get you where somebody can take care of you. And we're like, What's that supposed to be? And he's like, well, we think you have something called um, Guillain-Barre. And he goes, and I'm like, you're speaking a foreign language. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, what are you saying? Um, he's like, it's this rare thing. Um, don't look it up. Yeah. And then he turned around and walked out. Oh. And I was like, uh, looking at my parents and they're just kind of stunned, right? And so I look it up, just put my phone down mm -hmm. and look at my parents and I'm just like, take care of my family. And I told him, don't let me sit on machines. And, uh, um, it was very quiet hospital ride and got to the next hospital. And shortly thereafter, I lost my ability to breathe. Um, they they put me, they traked me, put me into a coma. 
And when I woke up from a coma, I was paralyzed from the eyes down and um, in immense (sighs) amount of pain. What was the time span on this, AJ? Um, a few days. Yeah, maybe. from that last run to being paralyzed from the yes. eyes down, a few days. Yes, from being a hundred percent to being in a coma was very quick. Wow, I mean, you guys listening, it is scary to look up Guillaume Barre. My PT's out there. You probably have heard of this, um, but if you haven't. Definitely go check it out. Uh, don't assume that you have it because some of the symptoms you'd be like, oh, I have this too. <laughs> um, but it's it's pretty rare disease uh, or disorder, I should say. And it basically your immune system attacks your nerves. And it can be like preceded by some sort of infection often. But this is what they see. And I'm not a neuro uh, PT, but this is what you will see clinically where this it progresses so incredibly quickly this is so when when aj sat next to me and started talking about this i was like oh my goodness so keep going aj you wake yeah, up and, and, and the eyes down no too guillaume beret so the um guillaume beret is fairly newly it's been around but mm-hmm. it, it just rare, discovered it was, yeah. uh, so a french man by the name of guillaume beret uh <laughs> he uh he he found this thing that was happening in like 1916 and he was telling people there's something weird happening. But then it went on and nobody really knew about it. And then in the 1980s, people started to say, wait, there's this thing that's happening to these people. And we didn't know what was going on before. So, I mean, we're talking about this was literally really discovered in my lifetime. And yeah, up until yeah. really the 2000s, though, it wasn't very well known in fact most of the time they thought it was polio mm-hmm. or they thought it was something else um now looking back they now have uh decided that they think that um alexander the great had guillaume Beret, and that's why they thought he was a god because he died but didn't start to decompose for weeks and he was screaming for a month actually he wasn't dead he was just oh uh, and, uh, and a coma. He was just oh, paralyzed. Um, so it, it's been around for a long time, but it is fairly new and it's uh, fairly rare. I'd never heard of anything like it in my life. Um, so I wake up and it was all happening so fast to me. It was just like, okay, I, you know, I'm, it's a, it's it. I'm it's over. It. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it was just like, this is, this is it. So I just tried to be positive and like, okay, just do what you need to do docs and we'll take it from there. Um, but when I woke up, um, it, it was a different world. Um, my eyes were partially paralyzed. I couldn't see past the end of my bed. Um, and I was talking to myself in my head. I couldn't communicate to anybody. So I had no way of communicating to anyone. And there I am stuck in my bed. Um, the pain was the hard part because the pain was just excruciating isn't even the right word all my nerves in my body were telling my brain that they'd been blown to smithereens. So my skin was on fire. My bones were crushed and it was constant. So I didn't sleep for about a month. I slept hours at a time, maybe at best. Um, And when I, you know, when I was trying, it was, it was twofold lying in the bed. And for, uh, you know, I, let me re- rewind here too. When yeah. we, first thing, you know, when you're you're listening, the people listening here, I don't know, you know, well, you you cover a whole range, but um, 
I think I, one of the problems that we had is so many people didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So people would come in and I'd be watching them. Right. And, um, tried to talk. We got a hold, my, my family got a hold of, uh, the, uh, GBS council or committee or whatever it is in, in the nation, right. That, mm-hmm. that really disperses information and does studies, all that good stuff. And they, uh, they had them connected to uh, a guy out of uh, the East coast. And he called my wife and he said, first thing you need to know, take all the sheets off of AJ. You're crushing him to death. And he said, and second of all, he's on fire. Get fans all over him. And when they did that, I think it was probably the first time I'd slept in weeks. So inadvertently, I was being put in just mm-hmm. mass amounts of pain. So then from there, I basically laid naked in my bed with fans <laughs> on me and it was wonderful. I was like, thank you. It was, it was a relief, but you know, the nurses would come in and they, you know, pick up my feet and they, you know, wonders picked up my leg and he was kind of looking at it. He's like, Oh no, I'm still doing good. And just let it drop oh, and fall on the ground. And it was like, I mean, just imagine falling from a 10 story building on one leg and that's, how it felt <laughs> and it was like wow. your nerves were just yeah, they're screaming aj how were you able to commute or i guess maybe you weren't that's the problem was there any way you could communicate your pain we, we communicated through blinking and that yes. was pretty much i said two things basically 24 7 help me um uh, help me i'm in pain and i want water so I was on an IV, but because I was straight, I couldn't drink. Mm-hmm. So then on top of that, my body is telling me you're, st- you're, you're dying of thirst in the desert. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. my lips were swollen and bleeding. My tongue was swollen and cracking and they had a little sponge yeah. that they'd take that the sponge, sponge, you exactly. know, yeah, that little sponge little and thing. I lived off that thing. And then they'd have to cut and they'd have to take out of my trach because I'd start packing up. And so they'd run my trach up and they'd have to clean out all those sponges because I was uh-huh. just chewing on that thing. Right. And then um, so I but no, I lied there and people would come in and out. Uh, I was on fentanyl and all sorts of stuff. Um, but when you're paralyzed, I, I lost all my senses. So. I lost my ability to really determine my surroundings. And then I was having ICU delirium too at the same time. So uh, because I was in pain, my, my mind didn't understand how to cope with it. So it was making up its own realities. I was aware and I, I knew the people that were there, but when things like night would come, um, my, my brain was telling me that I was, in a dark forest oh. that I was being tortured and wow. those just ran 24 seven. That's what I believed. Um, I believed that I was, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. I literally believed I was being tortured. And so I, I thought my nurses were torturing me. Yeah. And so then I was terrified and I'm, you know, freaking out and just bawling all the time. And did it they, was. Did they ever yeah. put, have to put you under? Like I, I've seen red yes, cases they, and they, they put me under coma. Wow. So How there was, was times when they, they, they gave me 
a lot of medicine to calm me down Mm -hmm. and to do things like that. But, you know, it's always, so the medicine cycles were really important. I had those timed very, very, (laughs) very well because I knew immediately when the fentanyl ran out because my body caught back on fire crushing, although the pain was constant. So the pain Uh never went away. Okay. But it was it was one thing for me to be able to sit, take it, and just go, oh, this is horrible. And then it was the pain where you lose your mind. Okay. And so, grab, you know, they had their four-hour provisions in which they would inject the fentanyl. And the other, it was, fet, I was on fentanyl, methadone. Um, they gave me Norco. They gave me um, uh, what? Uh, morphine, mm-hmm. which I hated the morphine because it didn't do anything. Oh. So they'd be there and I was, you know, telling them, I'm like, give me drugs. And they're like, AJ, we can't give you anything else. And I'm like, I'm dying. Yeah. And they're like, we'll give you some morphine. And I'm just like, no, I'm not helping me. You're like, it's not going to do anything. Right. Um, so this was the cycle. This was the cycle I lived in. It went from tears from me being hung up and burned and thinking that my children had been taken away from me. Um, and people coming in and torturing to pain that was so intense, I just wanted to die. And that lasted for months. It was continual, just rotating in and out. And how long was this whole thing? Yeah. Four months. Um, they, I got off the trach. I could not communicate for, I think it was 13 weeks because I did not have the power. My lungs Mm -hmm. didn't have the power. After that, they, they, my lungs got strong enough to where it could, I, I couldn't be taken off the trach, but they could switch it over so I could talk. Mm-hmm. And so they switched it over so I could speak for the first time. Um, and uh, then they would only allow me to do it because I would exhaust myself just by talking for seconds, right? I mean, wow. they gave me like five seconds and then I had to end. Um, and I would maybe get that oh, once a day starting out and then it progressively got more and more to where I could speak. Um, but I, they, we started like my hands were the first things that started coming back. I think it was my hands, not my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, my hands started to come back first. And so from there, every day was just them working with me to try to get my body to come back. Um, but, but for the first 10 weeks, we didn't know if I would even live. I got pneumonia oh while on the trach. Um, and I showed zero progress. So they have, uh, you, you maybe know the scale in which it shows your body's uh, ability to breathe. Um, and it's like a normal person's pressure or, or strength in order to breathe is like 70. Um, and dead is zero. I was at negative one oh. or I was at one for, um, 10 straight weeks. Wow. And then once it finally rose to two or three, they're like, Hey, there's something's mm-hmm. happening here. So they said, this may turn around. Um, so did we had you... a long time that my family didn't, didn't know what was going to happen. Did you feel like they were giving you hope there? Like from, I really want to hear about you as the patient perspective, like the people around you, like the doctors, were they saying positive things? The, the PTs, the people doing rehab with you, what was, what was the feeling that you got from them? So, um, you know, I think the best way to explain this was, is when I had to leave after the four months or whatnot, they took me to go transport me to the, um, the uh, rehab facility. And I just 
bawled. Yeah. I mean, I just sat in my wheelchair mm -hmm. and bawled because I didn't want to leave them. Yeah. Um, they, I will forever love my nurses. Amazing. Forever. Um, and they, they took such good care of me. They were the ones that, you know, cause I would ask every day, am I going to die today? You know? Mm -hmm. And they were like, AJ, you won't, we're going to, we're going to help you. We'll get through this, you know, and they would smile and I'd smile back and we had so much fun and they made it good for me. And I am a very people's person, yeah. right? I like yeah. people, I like being with people, I like talking to people and they would come in and they were my friends and that's what I really needed. Yeah. Um, I needed people to smile and to laugh and, and me be able to tease them. And um, <laughs> so when I wasn't dying, right, and in pain or whatnot, I was having fun. And that's weird that's to amazing. Say, no, that's it, that's perfect, AJ. Like anyone and everyone listening to this, that was rewind the episode and go listen to that again. The hope that they gave him, the fun that he had, this is at the heart of treatment. This is at the heart because we're working with people. Like that is, I love hearing that age. I was hoping that that was what you were going to say, but I, you never know. So that's, ah. So what happened when you then went to the rehab facility? So the rehab facility was hard and it wasn't hard because I was doing rehab. <laughs> it was, I went from, it's like going from like, your mother's arm to a boarding facility <laughs> to a boarding fair. school. Like, Very fair. Um, and I, and that's what they were supposed to do. Right. Yeah. They're like, no, AJ, get up and work. You're not, we don't want you to be here. Yeah. Like get better and get out. And <laughs> that's what I needed. Right. But it was very different. Yes. And, um, and two, I was very like, there wasn't an urgency when I was there, which was scary to me because I'm like, so who's going to be here when I stop breathing? Like, oh. Who's going to keep me alive? And oh. I, there was no one. And the, so not being, I was so used to just, okay, we, we didn't die today. That For when sure. I didn't have someone there to make sure I didn't die, that, that was very terrifying. Scary. Yeah. And, I'm like, guys, I'm not going to wake up. Yes. Right. It, it's it. And um, there weren't the machines yeah. keeping me alive. There weren't all those things there. Um, that was hard for me. Um, that was really hard to move into that, that for, different circle. For sure. Were there any scares? Did you have any like, oh, I woke up one day and I couldn't breathe or anything like that? Or was it? Yeah, just... I'd wake up from tears and things mm -hmm. like that. I don't know if it was just my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Like I'd wake up just absolute gasping. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost like I forgot to breathe, <laughs> but I don't know if that was just my brain playing tricks yeah. on me, you know? Um, so I, I don't think there was any real threat. They did have to keep me on oxygen for mm -hmm. a while, several other things, stuff, but normal stuff. Yeah. Um, but there were the, all, all the terrors that come with after being, and I see you for so long. Um, so, so that, that stayed for a while. So you have four months in ICU and then you went to rehab. How long were you in, in rehab? I was not in rehab for very long. My insurance kept, company kicked me out mm -hmm. after three weeks. Oh my and goodness. I, yeah. It was, AJ. I, went home, I went home and laid in a bed completely paralyzed. Oh my so God. I, I could move my arms. They got me to a point. I think it was three weeks. Maybe it was four. 
I, I mean, it it, that doesn't really matter. It, it, yeah, it was, it was in a long time. So I was supposed to be in there at least a month. So I was in there and they're like, you're, you're going to be in for another month. And then we're going to see if you can go out. Three days later, they came in and they're like, you're going home today. And I was like, oh my God. wait, what? And they're oh like, yeah, God. you're going home today. Um, and so the insurance company had said, we think he's well. So they're picking you up. Um, so they helped me get in. That time, though, um, I'm... You know, I, though, I, I'm one of those people that I like to get out. I need to move. I mm-hmm. like to do things. Good. So it, I think it worked out when I was in the ICU, when I got off and um, the, the machines, they were helping me and they put me in a wheelchair. And so I could start to work around, walk, go around the ICU or my lock. It, it was an LTAC. So the mm-hmm. long-term mm-hmm. care facility. So my LTAC, they got me in a wheelchair and I would just go and I would, I'd go leave my room and I'd go back down to the respiratory department so I could be with all my friends. <laughs> so I, I'm like, I'm not sitting here. I'm going back. Right. I'm like, I want to go hang out with people. So I would just kind of go right around and everything. So I think me getting out early with my personality, um, it was, it was, uh, I, I don't think it was bad. Okay. Um, Cause I, I wanted to go the day after I got out of the hospital, I had them take me to work. So I got out of the hospital AJ. at six o'clock at night and 10 o'clock in the morning. I was back at work. Um, but <laughs> I didn't last for very long. It was like 10, 15 minutes and they, they had to take me home. <laughs> I was starting to drool and fall asleep. <laughs> but um, I wanted to be yeah. out and about. But the transition, so the transition from my LTAC to the rehab um, to home, uh, the home going home, that was, that was bad. That didn't work out well. Um, they, it was, I, I got transferred from, and so my, my respiratory, uh, or my, the head neurologist that had me, he's like, I'm going to be your head neurologist after you leave. I'm going to be your neuro- neurologist after you leave the hospital. I'm like, okay, good. Cause we've been working with him the whole time. And then the day I left, he's like, I'm not anymore. Cause they don't oh. let me take outside patients. So they handed me to a doctor I'd never met and I left and they gave me my methadone and they were like, yeah, try to wean off it. Oh, and I was like, okay. So I left, I went home and when my methadone ran out, I just didn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I had about a week where I just kind of sat in a corner and screamed and cried and threw up and I was taking, um, probably 13 to 1400 milligrams of Norco a day. Um, and so my insides Mm -hmm. after a few weeks started to shut down. Um, and I didn't understand that's not what I was supposed to do. (laughs) So how how would you know? Exactly. Why would you know? (laughs) I, exactly. So I'm just, I'm just handfuling Norco every single three hours and it was getting less and less effective. So I was taking more and more and more Norco. And the only way it stopped was a pharmacist went to refill my prescription. And she was like, no. Oh. She was like, you're going to die. And I about lost it. I'm oh. like, I am barely staying alive here as it is. Because I'm in so much pain because the Norco didn't work. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there in a wheelchair and I'm like, I can hardly lift my head. And I'm looking at her like, you're not going to give me my meds. Like, my wife's like, I got to take you out. We got to get this figured out. 
And this whole time we didn't know. We like we had no idea that this wasn't how it was supposed to go. We called up my doctor, the doctor they'd hand me off to. They weren't even there. Nobody would give me other scripts. So I just went back to the neurologist that had diagnosed me in the hospital. We called him and we said, this is what's going on. And he was like, get down to the hospital now. So I went down to the hospital. They took me off the Norco. They put me on large amounts of methadone and some other stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're like, you should have never left it. So Go, from going from the hospital to home was not pretty yeah. for us. I mean, you had no, <laughs> really no guidance there. like None at all. Okay. We, we literally felt that we just were let go. Yeah, you were. We were like, <laughs> who we were. call? And they literally told us to call my doctor. And I was like, okay. So I called my doctor, who's a registered nurse. And she's awesome. We love her. She's my family doctor, everything like that. But she didn't know what to do. Yeah. She's like... I, what'd your neurologist exactly. say? Exactly. And I'm like, he told me to just get off methadone. Enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just, so there was, and then two, I'd go in to the doctors and I'd go in and talk to nurses and stuff. And a lot of these people had never even heard of Guillaume. Exactly. I'm saying you had something people hadn't even heard of. So of course they would literally, I had nurses that would come in and they would, they would say, okay, AJ, so you have Guillaume and they'd say the definition to me. And I look at him and I smile and I go, did you just yeah, read that? He went. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you about it. Right. Uh-huh. Um, which is fine. It was that that's I, I get it. Right. They don't know. Yeah. Um, and neither did I. But there was nobody, I think, there to help me. So in the two of the rehab facility, they didn't have anywhere for me to go. So they put me with the um, the uh, stroke. Uh, oh, okay. Department. Yeah. And so I'd go down and hang out with all my um, buddies that had strokes in the pool and everything. And we did that, which was awesome. I love those guys. Um, but there was always the sense of, we don't know what to do with you. Yeah. And that was scary. Yeah. Sitting here going when the nurse would come in and we're like, and they're like, oh no, you know, most people that get Yambore, they recover fully. And I look at him and I said, did you know that 90% of people that get uh, Guillain-Barre are never put on ventilators? And they're like, no, we didn't know that. And I'm like, do you know what the percentage of people that recover after being on a ventilator for two months is? And they're like, no, we don't know that. And so it was just hard Mm because I was like, you're telling me things that I'm going to get better. You're telling me things that you don't even know. You don't even understand. And so I think that was a little frustrating um, and it wasn't their fault. It just, it was what I had, right. Yeah, it, totally. just, it, it was what it was, but there, so there was people that would build false expectations for me mm-hmm. to the point where I thought I was going to be skiing. Like this happened in, um, oh. first week of October. And I'm like, Oh, I'll go skiing in February. And then there was other people that it was the counter. It was like, no, AJ, you're probably never going to walk again. How did you sift through that and manage that? Because you have it's two like polar opposites. Yeah, it was. Um, I learned very quickly that it would it, it it one side was co- they were both coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One part was like you need to have this hope and you need to understand and you need to be able to run after this. Like you'll walk mm-hmm, again, you're going to mm-hmm. run again, just run after it. Then the other side was like coming from a place of love where it's like, we are not setting you up 
mm-hmm. for something that is totally unrealistic, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I appreciated both sides, and I, and to me, I could, I could look at it and understand. First of all, I already know because from the very first, nobody even knew what was going on. Yeah. Then when they figured it out, they're like, "Oh no, it's okay." People that get um, Guillain Beret, they virtually never stop breathing, right? Well, that didn't uh, work out. So wait, wait, wait a minute. Time, <laughs> it was the whole time. It was I would ask everybody when they came in. Have you ever had a Guillain-Barre patient? Mm-hmm. And everyone would say no. So I was able to say I didn't take it too seriously. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Makes total I, sense. I didn't understand. And two, for me, I, it was more of a I don't really care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Yes. And I'm moving on. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people that just takes it at the moment. Yes. I'm not looking back. I'm not going to sit around. I'm just like I'll take it at the moment. Move forward. Forget it. It's gone. And so I think that that just personality trait helped me out a lot. Amazing. I'm in a hospital. I'm in a wheelchair. Yeah. All right, let's go. Amazing. Who can I race in my wheelchair? Right? <laughs> like, it was just, it was, let's next, next things next. Yeah. No, that's, but that's I, I, I was, I had a lot of blessings though that afforded me the ability to have that mindset and things like that. So I understand that's not normal and typical. And I think that, you know, for other people, I, I, I want to reach out to people that have Guillain-Barre. I, I've asked the hospital, I'm like, please tell me when somebody's here. And obviously they, they're like, we can't give you names or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I get it, right? But at least, could you at least put a call in and yeah. say, hey, somebody in the hospital has Guillain-Barre. Thank you. And then I'm, because yes. I, that's what really helped us was yeah. my wife being able to call somebody. That's huge. That went through it. That's huge. Have you asked them to put your information there in the hospital? I have. That's amazing. Well, so it happened. I I did. um, I had one of the nurses. So my LTAC that I was at, they would call me, but they got bought out and moved. uh, Uh, Most nurses left from there. But they called me up and said, hey, AJ, we got somebody, this guy, Guillaume We want you to come in. He's here on a ventilator. And so I came in and my doctor called me and and I went in, I sat next to him and I'm like, you know, hey, man. And um, I just talked to him and he, he didn't have any pain though. Okay. And he was, I was like, listen, I, I know this is hard. And I was, you know, I, we had our one-on-one, mm-hmm. uh, what he's going through. And I was like, but you, you can overcome this. Yeah. Like you, you can get over it and we can do it. Look at me, you know, I'm whatever a year no, and a half, totally. two years out. I, I have leg braces. I need help walking, but I'm not in a bed. Yes. And, uh, um, that was hard because I left and um, six months later found out that he never did get better mm-hmm. um, and that they sent him to a facility in Utah to, to take care of him because he was he was not going to get better. Can we talk uh, about that? I know we talked about it a little bit yeah. before the show because and I think you're spot on as to why perhaps some people may get better or why you got better and other people don't. And you kind of alluded it, alluded to it before, um, and the resources and such you have in place. But can you can you talk about that, AJ? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I uh, I I was working as a benefits uh, broker, getting paid commission. But five years before this happened, um, or four years before this happened, I had a a sense of urgency that um, I really wanted to become financially free. And I really needed my family to work hard to create income that was passive by nature, not sales driven like my job was. 
um, and that would be something that would separate our time from our income. And so we, I started, we started studying a lot and I started investing and buying up um, storage facilities that were being ran poorly and I'd turn them around and then um, we'd have a passive real estate asset. Um, and so I did this for years and actually the month that our company, because we had a management company uh, tied to it, became profitable um, was the month I went into oh the hospital. My God. So wow. my, uh, my company um, was paying the bills because I obviously lost my job. I worked for a multi-billion dollar brokerage company, um, national based out of Chicago, and I was running the offices out of Boise and that was no longer possible. So uh, my boss came and visited me in the hospital and let me know that I was moving to, you know, disability and I would no longer be working. Um, and that was a given. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't know if I was ever going to walk period again, more or less work. Um, but um, I didn't, it's not something that was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I was like, okay, sounds good. I'll go home and hang out with my wife and babies, you know, when I get out of the hospital. Yeah. Um, because um, of those passive, yes. you know, assets that we had bringing in income, whether I worked or not. Um, I say, you know, uh, my nurses saved my life and my uh, real estate saved my financial life. Um, and it's because of that, though, I was able to have a sense of still pride in mm -hmm. my life um, that can be very hard when you're in that situation yeah. because everything that you know and thought you were is gone yeah. and uh, um, you're shredded from your dignity. Um, I lied naked in a bed and yeah. had people bathe me and clean up after I went to the bathroom and everything for months. And I just lied there and had to look at my children when they came in and saw their dad hooked to tubes and didn't even want to talk to me because they were so terrified. Um, you know, you're, when you go through that, it's just, you're mentally not in a good place. Mm -hmm. And so then to also have this idea that your future has mm -hmm. been robbed, mm -hmm. not just the moment, but that, you're going to be what you feel useless, worse than useless. You feel you are dragging everyone down and that you are now this thing in everybody's life that is just, them. and then you think that's going to be the rest of my life. And I'm going to provide no value to anyone ever. I'm my kids are going to have this as a dad mm -hmm. and my wife has to take care of me now. Um, that is Heavy, man. And so for me, I knew that I had investments, I had my assets. And that put me in a different mindset. I knew that even in a wheelchair, I could still invest, I could still do those things, right? Yes. Um, and so it, it was huge. Yeah. It's like... And this the let the the, the, the the less amount or lesser amount of stress. Like we talked about it before you hopped on here and you guys listen and yes, no, stress is a killer and you have this physical stress that you're undergoing, your body's undergoing because you, you are, you know, paralyzed and, and dealing with this, just dealing with Guillain-Barre. But then to have the emotional, 
mental stress of these other things, that can absolutely be one of the things that separates those people who, you know, come come out of this, even though they were on event, as opposed to those who don't, because the stress stress is stress is stress so to have these things in place you know I, I, guys listening i was really excited to bring aj on because it is such a complete story like you guys know i'm all about the movement stuff but i'm also do, like, talking to you guys and trying to talk to you guys about the digital business side of things the the side of creating your best life with which isn't just you know being able to be on the beach but as danny Matei talks about creating you know being you know not being time poor and creating generational wealth and things like that and this is a story that i think should should highlight that. I think as physical therapists, one of the things I used to think about, and I actually stopped playing recreational sports, was like, oh shit, if I get hurt, I can't make any money. Like, what am I going to do? And that's a really scary thing to think about. And so for me, it was like, what systems can I start to put in place where I don't have to physically be there and can, you know, still have an income and you know i sat down next to aj and he started telling me a story and i was like oh my god i gotta get this guy in the podcast unfortunately i forgot my podcasting gear at home but we managed to still to still set this up um aj i would love to tease out a little bit more about what you've done on your own now because you are walking you have no more braces no more cane uh, where are you at now and how did you get there so um I got rid of my braces three, four weeks ago and, um, my lower legs, as I move them now, I can move them up and down. My ankles though are still partially paralyzed. So my lower feet, um, my right foot, there's foot drop, um, below my knees, there's still the feeling of paralysis, Mm -hmm. even though my muscles are starting to come back. Mm -hmm. Um, I suffer from lots of fatigue, which I'm working through. My cure has been drinking a lot of caffeine and that's not good. So I'm trying to get through that because um, I, um, it, one of the things though, too, it, that I think it led to my recovery is I had my support, right? Mm-hmm. I had my, um, I had, I, I was given something to look forward to our baby who had just been born. My wife now had four kids, a newborn baby and a paralyzed husband, um, wow. actually turned out to be our greatest blessing because they'd bring the baby in. And when all my other kids, we didn't let my kids see me for weeks because mm-hmm. we didn't, it was not a pretty picture mm-hmm. and they were very worried about scarring them. And at the time we didn't know what to tell them because we didn't, there was kind of a waiting game, whether dad was going to make it or not. And so they wanted to get the situation under control. So they would bring in though my infant baby and they'd lay him on the pillow next to my head. And he would use his little hands to play with my mouth and we'd give each other kisses. And that was like an angel from above coming down to be Mm -hmm. with me. And so I had him every day and I just wait to see him. Um, So I had the support. I had the ability to. And then when I came out, um, I was ready to go. I was like, I have another chance at life. And so whether I was in a wheelchair or not, I joined um, a foundation to help people get wheelchairs. Um, And then I started up, I think I've started four different companies since I've been out. And uh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm going for this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it make it big. And, uh, I, I just, I think I just put on the gas. Um, and I said, don't think about yourself. Don't sit here and 
Think about what you can't do. Think about everything you can do. Because the moment I took a drink of water for the first time in months and felt that water go down my throat and across my lips and tongue, it was like, I'm okay. Like, I could just lie here, but if you can give me water, I will be happy. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing, you know, I got to eat. And then after that, I got to hug my children. And then after that, I got to get in a wheelchair so I could get out of bed. And then I got to take a shower. Holy crap, a shower. So everything was just like this amazing thing for me in life, right? Yeah. Everything just came bigger and better and better and better. And I'm like, I'm not stopping this. Nah, I got to keep it. going. I love it. And so I just, yeah, I just had this momentum that I was really worried about losing. And so I just tried to keep everything pushing and keep going more and more and more. And I think that just put me in a constant state of motion where I didn't sit around and think about myself and what I couldn't do. I thought about reaching for the next goal and doing the next thing. And the mindset combined with the activity I feel really, really pushed me really far. AJ, can you elaborate? I got one last question. Can you elaborate elaborate on that a bit? Um, Because I had asked you uh, before the call where you're at with kind of your own rehab now because you were like, yeah, I'm doing it myself. Where are you at? What happened and how's it going? Yeah, so my rehab, this um, this is a hard one because with Guillain-Barre, like I guess I think when I thought of rehab, I thought, oh, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to be on the bike and there's going to be a coach yelling at me, push it, AJ, and I'm going to be sweating, right? And then there's going to have this music play in the background. It's going to be like, dun, 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 and I'm going to have this breakthrough. It wasn't like that. It was like, <laughs> I started to do something and they're like, take it easy. Look, you're getting too tired. You need to go back to bed. And I'm like, this is it, right? And uh, so rehab was tough because if we overworked myself, my nerves would stop healing. Yeah. So it was this weird combination of you need to do nothing, but then push it. Never to a point where I was ever going to sweat or tire myself out or hurt myself. Um, and then after a while, there was just nothing. Mm-hmm. And they looked at me and they were like, I think they got tired of me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was one of those things where they're just like, AJ, it was almost like accepted. This is the way it is. And they're like, you're probably never going to get rid of leg braces. You're probably never going to get rid of the cane. Like, Damn. this is life. Damn. And that at that very moment, I was like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm done. Amen. And so I just walked away. And I'm like, I know. And I, how I felt about it and what I said is what you can do is done. And I do believe that. I I, at the time, I think they were like, we don't know what else to do. And they were a hundred percent right. And I was like, now it's time for me to do. And so I just said, I need to get to a normal life as quick as possible. One that isn't surrounded by an identity of being disabled, which was really frustrating for me when people would say, how is it being disabled? I'm like, I'm not disabled. Stop telling me that. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a wheelchair. And then I hurry and will away from it. Right? And uh, so I, you know, I like it was, <laughs> and then I go, so I started going to like stretch labs and I started doing all this other stuff, stretch labs. It, so I, for those of you who don't know, stretch labs is like this, um, it's, it's a company that you go, it's almost like a massage parlor, except it's not individual. It's group based. They have all these tables and they work on stretching. And mm-hmm. that was a really hard thing for me 
because my muscles, I'd lost 70, 80 pounds. Oh my God. All my muscles were gone. And I had to rebuild muscle while the muscles didn't work. And it's this weird combination trying to go through it, but I lost range. So all my movement is gone. I mean, like I'd lie in a bed and if you lifted my leg up like two inches, my hamstrings were done. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, there was nothing there, mm-hmm. right? Everything had shrunk. And um, that is something I deal with on a day-to-day basis. So when I get out of the bed in the morning, my legs don't work right. Yeah. So I will have to use walls and tables to start moving. And until I can get my body working, um, I can't walk. And uh, so I have to restart everything yeah. every single morning. Stretch Labs has been good to get me that range back because without the range, I can't build the muscles properly, so on and so forth. So I do that and then I just stay active. I don't go lie in bed and watch movies. Good I man. have four kids, I'm doing things. I work till eight o'clock at night. Good I go man. wrestle with my kids. We go out on vacation. And that has skyrocketed my recovery. Um, and two, I, I did get stem cells. I don't think I mentioned this. Oh, you didn't? No. Yes, I got stem cells. So after they said I was done, my right leg had uh, under the knee had not moved in over a year and a half. Oh, I couldn't goodness. move my toes, anything. And they're like, you know, it's just the odds of recovery now are just so low. Go home. And so I went home, I started doing my own thing. I went and got stem cells. I have no idea what you think or anybody else thinks about stem cells. I got it done one time, three weeks later, my foot started to move. Um, And so I'm going to go get another round Mm -hmm. done again. But after the stem cells, um, within five months after my stem cells, I got out of braces. Um, And so it's been... whether that was mental or not, I don't even know, and nor do I care. Exactly, you're better. Exactly, it doesn't matter. You're better. So exactly. I do that. I do exercise. I'm going to go get stem cells done, another round done again, and then I do stretch labs. Um, and I hang out with all my nurses and everybody that so helps good. me get better. The community, I love, love them so much. That's so, so good. That's, that's what I'm doing today. So good, you guys listening, AJ. Like I said, I was super pumped and I'm super pumped to have him on just because it ties in so many things. If we look at it from the patient perspective, right? It's so, so valuable to hear the things that he said. But if you are a patient or you, you know, you yourself are dealing with whatever, the the value of being or the necessity, I guess you should say, of being your own best advocate and you know, it's amazing that AJ that you were in a place where you could understand that like, you know, you get in these polarized opinions but you're able to understand like yeah they both came from a good place but still knowing like i have to be my best my own best advocate and when it's time to leave this rehab and like go to the next thing i have to be the one to do that so that's huge not just hearing you know from the patient perspective but hearing what you know his uh maybe inadvertent advice to 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 patients and then from the provider side of things which is what i want a lot of us most of you to take away from this one of the things that kept coming up that AJ kept talking about and the word that kept standing out for me was fear and we understand that when the, when there's pain when there's the unknown there's so much fear and we as providers need to be doing anything and everything that we can 
to help with that. I love what he said about his nurses and, you know, the way that they were there for him and the sense of community they created for him right? and, and the way that they allayed his fears and just and helped him out. As providers, no matter what you guys are, it's so important that you're able to approach things like that. And, and AJ said this, where you're able to set realistic expectations for that person but if you think back to the episode that i did with beth those expectations need to also you know not be rooted in in pure negativity and not be rooted in pure you know false hopes and positivity but kind of letting the people know and being honest like if you hadn't had a a patient with guillain-barre i love that aj that you asked them that and as you as a provider need to be able to say no but this is what i've done this is the research that i'm doing we're going to do this together what do you know so that you can create that sense of community there and also help with that person's fear just there's so many just golden nuggets that you've given us aj's just phenomenal like so many so many things i ask this of all my guests if you had to leave and you've left us with so much already, AJ. But if you had to leave the people with something, anything, words of advice, words of wisdom, whatever, what do you got for us? Um, I, you know, I think, so first of all, for the providers, um, it, you know, when you're in dire circumstances like me, like, they might as well have been gone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they were everything. And I knew that it was them that were going to keep me alive. And when they came in and smiled and were loving to me, it felt like I was going to be okay. And everything was going to be fine. And that smile and that nurturing sense towards me, who now was do anything for myself, I felt so comfortable in their hands. Um, they would come in and I'd be like dying to them because I'd be scared and I'd be like, help me, help me. And they were the ones to mm-hmm. tell me. And they'd look down and, you know, stroke my hair and say, AJ, we're here. It's okay. Um, that just can't be, it can't be quantified. Yeah. Um, although, yes, they did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was funny. I had, um, it'd be, because of the drugs and things I was on, they had to give me shots uh, or they were trying to change my IV at one of my arms and they stuck me like 12 times. They couldn't get it. And it had nothing to do with that. Most drugs, my veins were like gone. (laughs) And I'm just sitting there smiling, looking at it and she starts to cry. And she's like, AJ, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what are you crying for? You can stick me a hundred more times. I'm like, I'm just happy you're here. Like, I was seriously, I'm just like, I'm just happy you're here. And they could do no wrong. And um, so if you are that way with the patients, I think that's how they, of course, you guys have brat patients. But, and then um, on the other side of it, um, I think for patients, as patients, I think the, the system, the hospital system, your doctors, your nurses, um, everybody is, it, it, it's, it's there, but you have to actively use it and you can't be um, passively um, going through the recovery journey and expecting other people to do it for you. You need to utilize them, their knowledge and the resources that are there to help yourself. They cannot make you get better. They are there to help you on your journey, but you need to be actively participating in that instead of just lying back and waiting for it to happen. 
that is that puts an undue burden on the providers and unrealistic expectations for them. They're not God. And so they want what you want and they're trying everything that they can just give the effort and recognize their sacrifices and try to participate. And that'll just, I, I think on both sides for the patient and the provider, if you guys team up like that, it creates a situation where recovery can thrive. And it's important. So good, AJ. So absolutely phenomenal, AJ. If, because I know they're going to want to, if people want to reach out to you or contact you, how can they do that? So I, you can reach out to me any way you want. AJ Osborne, Instagram, you can just uh, direct message me. Um, I teach all about creating passive income now and self-reliance and stuff because it's so important to me. I started it when I was sitting in the hospital. I'm like, I got to talk about this. So cash flow to freedom. um, That's cash flow with the number two freedom. You can email me from there. It goes straight to my phone. Um, Facebook, AJ Osborne. Any one of those avenues at all, it all comes straight to my phone. And I'm Amazing. happy to talk if anybody wants to reach out. Amazing. Just all the resources. You guys, you know, I will put those in the show notes and you will be able to check that out. Definitely check out that cash flow to freedom too. That's that's awesome. Um, I'm also going to drop in the show notes two other episodes that I think tie in with this nicely. One that I did with Meg um, Copel Duffy from the Neuro Studio. I think that would be good for you guys looking for any additional resources. Um, and the second one, I cannot remember, but it, it just totally popped right out of my head. Uh, yeah, totally popped out of my head. But I'll drop the episode from the neuro the neuro studio, and the other one that I remember, I'll I'll put that in there. But all the things from AJ, this last little bit, I'm gonna ask you again, guys, go and rewind and listen to that his his advice for providers. That's just freaking invaluable, and advice advice to other patients. That's really just thank you, AJ. Truly, this has been absolutely phenomenal sharing your story. I knew as soon as I sat next to you, I was like, this guy. I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> so thank you. Thank well, you so thank much. You. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is awesome. You guys listening, thank you. I know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly appreciative. If you liked it, I'm going to ask that you share this with someone that you think it could benefit, whether it's a patient or a provider. I think there's a ton of information, a ton of value in this episode. So if you liked it, Share it with somebody else. If you loved it, subscribe and then share it with somebody else. All right. That's all I got for you. Until next time, friends, AJ and Maestro 